0: Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation with the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face to face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned and the insights they have to share about the ever evolving landscape of financial services.
1: I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and today I'm joined by Kerry Seymour, who is a clinical hypnotherapist and mental health trainer. Kerry, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome, Lois. So maybe you could start off just telling us a bit about yourself and what you do.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'd say um, mental health really is is what what I do, um, and I've always been interested in in kind of mental health and well being and and psychology right from um, studying psychology back at universities. Probably what really really kicked it off, um, and I think you know back at uni just kind of learning you know how how our mind works and and all of that behavioral stuff and all of the theories around mental ill health as well um just i find it just so so interesting um and i think when i was at university the plan was to eventually become a, a clinical psychologist um but i think once i'd done my undergraduate i was a little bit bored of kind of studying wanted to earn some money um mm-hmm. so i ended up going into to research um quality improvement, clinical governance. So those less clinical mental health roles, but equally supporting clinical staff to be able to deliver those services effectively to the people that need them. Um, So that's kind of always been my my focus, really, is making sure people are kind of getting that support that they need um, Mm -hmm. when they need it. Um, and then, uh, like like for, for many women, I took a little bit of a career break when I had my children. So I've got um, a girl who's just gone into year seven and a boy who's just gone into year four. So I took some time off while they were babies. Um, and then when kind of my son was 18 months old, started to think about uh, getting a career back on track um, and decided to look for some work from home opportunities. Um, so I set, set up my own business um, uh, I was supporting health and well-being businesses with their business and admin and, and kind of background processes um, and then kind of stumbled across uh, solution-focused hypnotherapy, didn't really know what it was, didn't really have a very good understanding of it. Um, And then as I got to know more people who practised and I started working with Inspired to Change, which is the the team that I'm now part of, um, I really started to understand actually what it was all about, um, who it was aimed at helping. Um, And for me, the thing that grabbed my attention was the real neuroscience base behind it. Um, Because that, I mean, that was my favourite part of the psychology degree, really, was all of that neuroscience-y stuff. Um, So I think once I really understood what it was, um it was a bit of a no-brainer for me that I
1: should be training in it and practicing so yeah that's that's where I've come from definitely No, that sounds really interesting I um I think I've said on podcasts before that I did psychology at a level um and I didn't take it on to university sadly it was very very close between psychology and English literature and in the end I just went English oh, no. literature because I knew yes. I wanted to have a sort of writing-y career but yeah definitely very close behind was psychology I always found it fascinating
2: yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. English literature would have been my second choice as well. Oh, so. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so um we're going to be talking a bit today about because obviously this is for money marketing for financial advisors. Um there's a obviously a link between money and mental health, which I'm not sure I certainly before I joined money marketing didn't really even consider it, but it's actually probably quite obvious. Um, what do you see as the sort of connection between? mental health and money and how does it manifest itself?
2: Yeah absolutely I think that there's been a lot of focus on this hasn't there in in recent years and particularly around um, the impact of debt on mental health Um, but I think for me uh, finances are really the thing that allows us to live the life that we want to lead Um, and I think you know rather than having our finances run run-ups and our lives and being dictated what we can and can't do. I think starting with that picture of how we want life to look um, and then kind of making our finances work for us, I think gives us back that feeling of control rather than kind of chasing, um, perhaps chasing the finances first, to live the life that we want Um, and I think there's so much research around you know how um, well once we're happy if we've kind of got that good mental well-being and we're feeling happy in in our lives we're much more likely to create success from there rather than aiming for success and hoping that that will bring happiness so I think uh, yeah there's been a definite shift isn't there in 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 recent years around that Um, and I think for me it's just all around creating the life That you want really thinking about what you do want from life, um, rather than what you don't want from life, which is what what help my clients to do shift their perspective from what they don't want, shifting it towards what they do want. Um, And I think financial planners and advisors have got a really important role in helping people to understand what can be quite intimidating in in our finances and the financial world, is making that easy for people to access and um, to create the life that they want really
1: yeah definitely. Um, and I think that connects all obviously into well-being, which I think is a concept that's probably gained quite a lot of traction, especially in the advent of covid. I, I feel like people are a lot more aware of their mental health and and the extent to which it's affecting people. I don't know if that's true or just my interpretation of it, but it seems yeah. to be the case. yeah, um, and obviously, with that, financial well-being um has sort of come to the fore a bit. Um why do you think that is other than obviously, The COVID pandemic and the effect of that on people's mental health, why do you think financial well-being as a concept has has sort of become more to the forefront of people's minds? Yeah
2: well I think like you say with the with the pandemic everybody kind of reassessed their priorities didn't they and I think You know, for many of us, we would have noticed that Covid and particularly that first lockdown would have impacted our well-being to some extent or another. So I know I certainly had a bit of brain fog, really tired in those first couple of weeks. Um, and you know, there's kind of a lot lots of jokes on social media about everyone baking banana bread, but actually we all saw changes in, in our in our diet, perhaps comfort eating, changes in alcohol or caffeine, maybe. Um, and for many of us, we noticed an impact on our sleep as well. So I think really seeing um something like COVID and that that shared um you know pandemic experience and how that impacted our well-being, I think really showed people that actually it doesn't take you know, a lot really to start to throw out our well-being off balance um, when that curveball happens. Um, and I think for some that meant we could really slow down, um, you know, people that perhaps were, were on furlough perhaps enjoyed having that slower pace of life, um, maybe reassessing what was important for them. Um, but equally in the background, they might have had those financial worries about know whether they would be returning to work and how long the furlough payments might last. So again, the stress that comes from that uncertainty around our finances, um, I think people really saw that over the last couple of years. Um, And then equally, on the other hand, so with key workers, for example, they might have significantly noticed their stress levels shoot up um, during the pandemic. And again, I think they would have then reassessed their priorities and actually you know what does work mean to them what you know how does that impact their their finances um you know they might have had good money coming in during that time perhaps because they were working working overtime but actually that was in, at the expense of their well-being so with the money without the well-being or the well-being without without the money and i think the the pandemic brought all of that up um for a lot of people and it's just kind of really led to that one reassessment of of our priorities that refocusing on well-being um, and as part of that, I don't you can't exclude our finances from well-being because they're obviously a key, um, a key element of life, aren't they? We need a certain amount of money to make sure we're we're able to live. So I think um, all of that kind of uh, kind of amalgamated together in that people just reassessing priorities, looking at well-being um, and there was almost a bit of a permission, I think, to to prioritise well-being. I think there was that bit of a shift during um during those lockdown pandemic years. Um, and I hope I hope that that continues, that, that, that
1: prioritization of well being um kind of does stay, um, does stay around. Yeah, definitely. And a sort of genuine prioritization of it as well, not just sort of saying, oh, I'm prioritising well-being, but actually looking at it and really considering it. I um it was just such a weird time lockdown I think because so many things were out of our control it did and it was sort of like a pause on life almost for Mm. many people um and it meant that certainly for what I can only speak from my own experience I suppose because so many things were taken out of my control like I didn't have a job anymore I was staying back home with my parents um so I did. Well, I I had a job because I was a freelance journalist, but I mean, I didn't have like an employed job anymore. So it really allowed me to sort of stop and reassess my priorities. So, yeah, I totally I see what you're saying. Yeah, Um, absolutely.
2: I think we also found that the things that we missed weren't the expensive um or e- even you know lower level um uh, expenses in life it was the simple you know just being able to see people or just being able to chat to people on the school run or you know that that chat around um the water cooler in the office you know all of those three things in life I think they were the things that we missed the most rather than um the more kind of expensive luxuries
1: yeah definitely no totally agree um I was looking back at all photos of being in the office and stuff and hanging out with my colleagues hanging out with my friends and really missing that that yeah. whole thing and didn't really spend any money doing that so yeah, yeah definitely agree um so you've already sort of you mentioned it there about um the role that financial advisors have um but if you could maybe go into a bit more detail on how much of a role you think financial advisors have to play in helping increase people's financial well-being um and what okay. what they can do
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think I mentioned earlier, I think for a lot of people, finances or the financial world might feel like a bit of a mystery or um, maybe to some even a bit scary or intimidating. And I think there's often that fear around asking the silly question um, or feeling like it's not for you because you haven't got a certain amount of wealth. Um, So I think, you know, financial advisors and planners are really that kind of really important middle support, that link between the financial world and kind of your your average person, say, Um, you know, someone there to kind of, you know, almost hold their hand um, and guide you to create that life that you want again. So again, all around making your finances Work for you, um, and I know when I um, had my very first meeting with uh, my financial planner, um, Laura, we spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about financial security and, and what we already had in place around life insurance and income protection and, and pensions and and that kind of thing. Um, but equally, we spent a lot of time like thinking about what we wanted life to look like right now and in the future and how we could get our finances again to create that that picture for us. Um, and one of the things that, that Laura said right at the beginning was uh, that you don't have to be wealthy to benefit from wealth management. Um, and I think that really stuck with me because I think that word wealthy can mean something different to everybody, mm. can't it? And I think you know many people don't necessarily consider themselves wealthy, but we all have got financial um concerns that need to be managed. So I think that that role of financial advisors and planners really to support people to to understand that um, and then also to give them that with their knowledge
1: and experience that that advice that's right for them. Yeah definitely it's um, I think the the importance of knowing what you want from life before you decide how much money you need to sort of fund that life is quite an interesting one um, it came up at the Institute for Financial Wellbeing's conference back in yes. May quite a lot, yes. which I really enjoyed. Um, and I think one of the things was, um, you know, Chris Budd, the co-founder of the Institute for Financial Wellbeing, he was saying about, he has this yacht analogy. So somebody, you know, three people might buy a yacht and it's all for completely different reasons. One person might buy a yacht because they want to have the most ex- to be seen to have the most expensive yacht and to sort of show off to people. And, and that's a very outward reason, sort of external reason. And then another person might want to have a yacht because they're really passionate about sailing. And when their children come home from university at the weekend, they all hang out together on the yacht. And that's a much more internal and likely to make them more happy mm-hmm. internally than maybe having the most expensive just to show off. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting the reasons why people want things.
2: Yeah, yeah. And all
1: around the experience of it
2: rather than the, the actually having
1: it. Yeah, exactly. No, um, and I've already mentioned the conference, and I think you led one of the breakout sessions um, where you talked about accessing the intellectual part of the brain and how it's yeah. essential to assessing our financial situation, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I wondered if you could expand on that a bit more um, about what was talked about in your session. Yeah, sure. So,
2: yeah, the session was all around really understanding uh, or having an awareness of neuroscience and what the latest neuroscience research is telling us, how our brain works so that we can better help people to make good financial decisions for themselves. Um, and really, I think the the key. You know, the key element of that is that we have to be operating from that intellectual part of our mind. So, you know, when I'm training or or with clients, I often talk about our left prefrontal cortex. So it's the bit of the brain just above the eyes. Um, And that's our real conscious, intellectual part of our brain. And it's supported by the rest of our, our brain, the kind of the top bit, the cerebral cortex. Um, and that's the unconscious part of our of our intellectual brain, and those two parts work together. Um, and when they're working together, and we're operating from that intellectual part of our brain, we can be um, we can make good decisions. We're logical, we're rational. We can be creative and inventive, um, and we can ultimately make a proper assessment of the situation that we're in. So when we are making good financial decisions, or when we're just feeling really on the ball in life in general we know we're operating from that intellectual part of our brain it's that part of our brain that is able to make those kind of big decisions um and that part of the brain is able to kind of delay gratification for the future as well so it we can kind of plan ahead in that way which i think is really key when it comes to our our financial decisions um and then we kind of compare to that to if we're operating from that primitive part of our brain. Um, So our primitive brain sits much lower down, just above our brain stem. Lots of people know it from like the chimp paradox, our chimp brain. Um, But Mm. I talk about it in terms of the primitive brain. Um, And that part of our brain is all about survival, our fight, flight, freeze response. Um, And if we're making decisions, well, that part of the brain can't really make effective decisions, and it's not logical, it's not rational and it can't be creative or inventive or, or all the good stuff that our intellectual brain can do. So decisions from that part of the brain often come from fear um, or, um, you know, they're, they're just not logically rationally thought through. So they tend to be more of a knee jerk reaction or perhaps burying our head in the sand uh, or maybe driven by by fear or anger. Um, and I think we've all made decisions. From that that part of our brain um you know particularly in in our in our younger years in our teens and, and early 20s we've potentially made decisions from that part of our brain um so i think helping uh financial advisors and planners to understand those two different parts of the brain and being able to recognize if their client is in their intellectual brain um, or if they're in their primitive brain. Um, so, we talked around kind of negative thoughts and how if we're in our primitive brain, we'll be very negative, we'll be focusing on worst case scenarios, um, we'll be quite obsessional and, and problem focused in our thinking. Um, so, again, just helping advisors to know if somebody's in that primitive part of our brain. Um, and then kind of a few things to support people to get back to that intellectual part of of their brain and part of that is about making the process easy so taking the stress and and the confusion out of the process of setting up a pension for example sometimes is all people need to get them back Mm. to their intellectual brain Um, because it might have been that that was causing them to drop down into their primitive brain Um, but equally you talked about people are those key Kind of changes in life, perhaps around divorce or um, you know planning for care for the future, or those kind of things. Um, those can drop us
1: down into our our primitive brain as well. So yeah, there was a, a lot of chat around around that. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I think I need to exercise the intellectual part of my brain a bit more often and stop <laughs> dropping down into the other part. Um, <laughs> this is completely off topic, but uh, my mum sent me this graphic the other day, and it was of a horse. And it looks like, I think it looks like it's walking backwards. But apparently if you see it walking backwards, you're using the right side of your brain. And if you see it walking forwards, or sorry, if you see it walking backwards, you're more right right brain led. And if mm-hmm. you see it walking forwards, you're more left brain led. Is mm-hmm. it true that the right brain is more sort of creative and feeling and the left brain is more logical and thinking? Yeah, so
2: that that's kind of been where the the research has been in the last couple of decades. I think there, I think to some extent that's true, but I think new the newest research is showing that actually the the two hemispheres are more connected um, than was previously realised. And there's a lot of research around people that uh, perhaps have brain damage on a particular side of their brain, and other areas of the brain will create new neural pathways to fill in the gaps that have been lost from the brain damaged area. Um okay. so I'm not uh, sure now the extent how much that is true. I think there probably is some truth in it. Um but also kind of a bit more complicated
1: than perhaps they originally thought. Yeah. Sorry, not relevant at all. I was just <laughs> interested. <saying. laughs> I know the brain's while fascinating, I, isn't it? Well I had you here. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah no that's really great. Thank you. Um I suppose then the final thing I just wanted I was interested to know is if you have I know we've talked a bit about obviously financial advisors role in financial well-being, but is there one standout piece of advice you'd give to financial advisors in helping their clients improve financial well-being?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably. It's having that awareness, I think, of of how our brain works, you know, just having doing a little bit of research on that. Um, and having that awareness of how our intellectual brain works. So there were some tips that I took the, the group through um, at the conference, um, just some really simple things that advisors can do to help people to be in that intellectual part of their brain during consultations. Um, and it's often things that actually they're probably doing already. But they don't realise how important the things that they're just doing, just because they're good at their job, how important they are for helping people to be in that part of the brain. So, a couple of things that I mentioned. Um, the first one was inconsequential language so chit chat um at the mm-hmm. beginning of the session uh, that kind of problem free um you know conversation that we can just have um is really worthwhile spending a bit of time having a bit of chit chat um which i'm sure they all do kind of naturally and, and build rapport with their with their clients um but just to understand that kind of not that problem free conversation Helps us to into in um, helps us to uh, kind of get into that intellectual part of our brain, Um, and then things like compliments. Um, So whether that's just on, um, I know our financial planner came to our house. um, So whether that's just about a compliment on kind of your interior design, or compliments on how you've organised your finances and you know how organised the folder is, those Mm. kind of little compliments make people feel good. So again, they just put people into their intellectual minds when one would give compliments. And again, I'm sure there's many people that do that, but don't necessarily realise how beneficial it is. Um, And then one of the other things we talked about was asking people what's been good, or asking people to reflect on what's going well. Um, Because I guess there's the potential for a lot of, well, this isn't going well, or um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really stressed about this. But again, just encouraging people, either a general "what's been good in life" question, uh, what's been good this week, um, or what's going well with your with your finances, and shifting people towards that really helps them to to access that intellectual part of their brain. So I think those kind of just little tweaks, or, or putting extra emphasis on on things that they might already naturally be doing to really encourage that that intellectual brain um kind of access i think would be my my main tip for financial um advisors as well as tip two would be to prioritize their well-being as well
1: perfect um, really interesting i think there's quite a lot of crossover with journalism there because obviously we interview a lot of people and are sort of not to give away journalist secrets but we obviously I mean, I I just enjoy chatting to people anyway, and I would anyway. But it is obviously a good good practice for before you're going to interview someone, so that you don't immediately put them on the defensive and just sort of dive straight in with the really Mm -hmm. tough questions, because then they're likely to shut down. I imagine it's because they've gone into their what was it called, primitive brain? Primitive brain, yeah. Primitive brain, yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting sort of crossover between journalism and financial planning. Um, Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, all really interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Um, That's probably all we've got time for for today. But um, I've really enjoyed chatting to you, Kerry. Thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition Money Marketing magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.